How can anyone steal something if you don't own anything? How can anybody steal? If, if I don't have a car sitting out here in the parking lot, how can my car be stolen? And he says his thoughts toward me are continually good. Now, I could give you so many examples of how things happened. An air conditioner, when it was about ready to go out, got hit by lightning, and insurance paid for it completely. I mean, God can bless me in so many different ways. That, and then God blessed me with my family. I am so, if I had nothing else, I'm a millionaire, multimillionaire because of my family. You see, those are the only things. Believe me, the only thing you'll take with you to heaven are your children if they're saved. And if you don't, you've lost the only earthly possession you can take with you to heaven. So what difference does it make whether we have big houses or big cars or anything? Just have to obey the Lord. And I believe he'll bless us. Okay, don't be hearers now. Be doers of the word. And he'll, he'll honor you, he said. And you'll have a foundation that's solid and firm. And let me say again, whatever you're thinking concerning your estate, realize we answer to God for our estate someday when we stand before him. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that the word of God is settled forever in heaven. And you said we'll know the truth and the truth will make us free. And I realize there are some probably here this morning, Lord, who are in bondage financially. Because somewhere along the line, that unknowingly, they have violated biblical principles. And I'm so thankful that we can read in Haggai that when they were disobedient, when they repented and turned around, you began to bless them from that day on. And I thank you there are families in this church that have found this to be so, who had been violating principles, but when they became obedient to you, you've begun to build them and strengthen them and encourage them. Their families come in line with the things of God and you're ministering to their financial... I'm so thankful that you're faithful. You never fail. I ask that you'd help us to be doers of the word, Lord, that you'll be able to bless us more than ever before. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. We don't own any possessions. Everything we have belongs to you. We're just your stewards. And so we lay it all at your feet and say, Lord Jesus, please, by the power of the Holy Spirit, teach us to be obedient. Teach us to be sensitive. Teach us to be giving that in all things Jesus Christ will be honored and glorified. Father, I'm just so thankful that you want to bless us. And you said if we'll be obedient in this area, that you will open the windows of heaven and you'll pour out such blessings that we won't even be able to contain it. I'm thanking you for it ahead of time in Jesus' precious name. And agreeing with these that raise their hand that there's going to be a change in their life, that you're going to minister to them in that area. They're going to find success in that area in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We've been talking this morning about Christian principles of ownership. And the first point was you don't own yourself. If you are a genuine Christian, you do not own yourself. You are a doulos. What is that? A willing bond slave of Jesus Christ, which says you do not own yourself. You were bought with a price. Christ redeemed you. You belong to him, body, soul, mind, and spirit. You're not your own. So you have no rights to claim you're not your own you do not have rights of your own secondly I said you do not own one earthly possession and that's made very clear because the word of God says that every Christian is a steward and it's required of a steward that he be found faithful that means that in every area of your life when you are examined and by the way you know God has a good IRS that comes around and examines the books he keeps good books when you're examined, it needs to be found that you are faithful. He said, if you're faithful over little, he'll make you faithful over much. If you're not faithful over little, don't expect anything more in the days ahead. And some people say, well, I've been faithful for six months now. You don't do it in your time. You just be faithful because you're supposed to be faithful until the day comes that God calls you home or Jesus comes back. 
whether there's any outward evidence of reward whatsoever, you just do it because you know that God is fair and in His time and in His way, He will recompense you. The third thing I wanted to share with you is that the talents you possess are not yours. I've had so many people not understand biblical principles because they have a special gift or a special talent. They go around thinking, wow, you peons, look at me. And I think, how foolish. All that would have to happen is to have God gave to Satan the permission to touch Job's body. And every talent and gift that you and I may have could be erased that suddenly in the natural. They've recently had programs concerning Alzheimer's on television where they had people with very high IQs, very brilliant people, very capable people, very successful people, and all of a sudden it's gone. And you can say, look how gifted and talented they are. Look how capable they are. And all of a sudden, it's gone. It's not theirs. It was given them by the grace of God. I've known of people who could sing beautifully. And all of a sudden, something happened and their throat, vocal cords were destroyed or ruptured. And let me tell you, when I hear some of these singers today, I can guarantee you 10 years from now, they won't be singing. They're not singing. They're screaming. They're bellering. When you see these chords stand out on the sides of their throat, just understand they're using wrong principles of singing and it'll destroy their throats before long. But they think, wow, I mean, they're making millions of dollars, so I'll keep on screaming until I lose my voice. But you see, that talent and gift has been given to them of God. And when you and I begin to examine our lives, we may think, you know, I'm really fortunate. I can do this and that the other people can't do. But that means that God holds us all the more responsible than those who don't have gifts and talents. It is not something for which we should boast. It's something that we should have an awe before God and say, God, you've given this to me. I'm going to have to answer for this someday, and how will I answer to you? What can I do to glorify you with this? Now, sometimes it seems like God gives a whole lot to some people and not very much to others. But you see, we shouldn't say, look how much you gave them and how little he gave me. We should instead say, God, with the little bit you gave me, how can I be faithful with what you have given me? You know, some people, if they're given a lot, wouldn't know what to do with it. Now, that's, that's interesting because here in Matthew 25 and verse 15, it's exactly what it, it tells us. And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to every man, by the way, that includes you and me, to every man according to his several ability. Or another living Bible says in proportion to their abilities. God gives you responsibility and talents according to your abilities. Now, if you have certain abilities, thank God, you may be a one-talent person, but you can be just as successful in God's sight because He does not hold you responsible for what you do with what you don't have. If you can't sing beautifully, and if you can't run a computer beautifully, and if you can't type, or if you can't teach in a certain way, God's not going to hold you responsible to do those things. But He is going to hold you responsible for what you do with those things that He has given to you and the talents and abilities has given to you. Oh, yes, but I would rather be able to do this than such and such does over there. That's telling God that he made a mistake. If we really believe God created every one of us, and while we were still in our mother's womb, that he designed us for a specific purpose, then we must thank God for where we are and what we have and say, God, let me develop this talent. If it's a single talent, let me do it in such a way that it will glorify and honor you. We have to understand that the talents we possess are not ours. Look at Exodus, the fourth chapter with me. Exodus, the fourth chapter. We've mentioned this a little bit this morning, but I want you to see it in the Scripture. Now, you have to understand that Moses was raised by the princess of Egypt, and he was the potential ruler to take over if anything happened to Pharaoh. 
He had all the training of Egypt, but I'm sure his mother who took care of him implanted within his heart and mind all the truth concerning the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And implanted in him the promises of God because it said Moses, rather than to enjoy the pleasures of Egypt, turned them down to be faithful to God and went out into the wilderness for 40 years and later on became the deliverer. But in Exodus, the fourth chapter, verses 10 through 12, God had called Moses. You know, he set a bush on fire and Moses was attracted to it. And God told him to take off his shoes because the ground on which he was standing was holy ground. And they began to speak to him. Verse 10 said, And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Now, I really personally don't believe that he was like that when he left Egypt. But I want to tell you something. You get out in the wilderness in the desert with a bunch of dumb sheep for 40 years and walk around and all you hear is bah all day and you don't talk to anyone, you don't have a lot of communication, you can become slow of speech. It's a, the plain old fact if you don't use it, you'll lose it. You know what I find? That when I don't sing on a regular basis, I don't practice on a regular basis. And when I don't vocalize on a regular basis, when I have to sing the next time, I have real difficulty singing. Now you may not notice it, but I notice it. But I like what one pianist said one time, if I don't practice for one day, I notice it. He said, if I don't practice for two days, my other pianist friends notice it. If I don't practice for three days, he said, everybody notices it. And there's a lot of people that God's given talents and gifts and abilities to, and they just set it aside because they get more interested in some other area. Moses, out there in the desert for 40 years, said he's slow of speech. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now, by the way, let me just say to you, this should answer the question that the disciples ask of that young man. Who hath sinned, this man or his parents, when they came to the young man who was blind? God says here to Moses, he said, I make the blind, I make the lame, the deaf, the dumb. He said, I, the Lord, have made them. Now, therefore, go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. How many of you know that God's a pretty good speech therapist? Now, we talk of Moses as a, a friend of God, but you know Moses didn't have much faith either when God called him. He said, God, I can't talk. God said, who made your mouth? I'll, I'll, I'll give you speech therapy. And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. He said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth. And I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people, and he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God, and thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. When God tells us to do something, by the way, let me say that God won't tell you to do something if he, unless he gives you the ability to do it. He says, just follow Aaron, and you can go do it. He didn't have faith for himself, so he followed Aaron, and he was able to do it. But I had to realize that if God puts you somewhere, then God will give you the grace to see it all the way through. And from those two and a half years ministry, we saw 50-some young people go away to study for full-time service. And they're all over the world today in ministries and missions and one man in seminary teaching Hebrew. I could not believe it. God has just called them all over. Our talents are not our own. Deuteronomy 8, 18. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. There are a lot of people who would like to get wealthy in this land today. But I want to tell you something. There's some people that God gives the ability to get rich. Others, he doesn't. And the question is, are you and I willing to do without or to do with? What did Paul the Apostle say? 
I've learned how to be exalted. I've learned how to be abased. I've learned how to have abundance. I've learned how to live with nothing. And in all those circumstances, I'm content. And I want to tell you something. If you're not content with nothing, you won't be content with much. I had somebody come to me the other day and say, Pastor, you know, heard your message the other day and it was a real blessing. You know, some of these people that think that rich people have got it made, he says, I call on rich families all the time. And he says, you won't believe what's going on in those houses. Oh, yeah, I said, what? You see, they thought that when they got material things that that would satisfy life. There's a God-shaped vacuum and you and I can't fill it with things. When we do, we're totally miserable. We have to realize that if we're faithful in little things. Now, I want to emphasize that because when I was Bible college, I still remember I went from about a hundred and some dollars a week when I was in high school. I worked full-time at Hormel Meatpacking Plant. I made something like $125 to $150 a week and that was good pay back then. We got production pay. And when I went to Bible college, I was making $6 a week. Well, I didn't have any trouble paying tithe on my $125 to $150 a week when I was in high school going to school half-time and working full-time. Sure, what, 15, 20 bucks? I mean, I can throw that in the offering any old time, you know. But boy, when I made six bucks a week and was trying to go to Bible college, what then? And I said, God, I'm going to be faithful. So I tried to give at least a dollar of that a week and try to live on $5 a week. I can remember going over to the bus stop with no money in my pocket saying, God, I've got to get to work. How am I going to get to work? And have somebody pull off to the curb and say, where are you going? I said, I've got to go over and such and such. Well, that's right where I'm going. Get in. I didn't, I didn't go like this even. They just pull over. Where are you going? I said, thank you, Lord. And I remember that one night in particular, no money in my pocket, and it was miles away from the school, and it was a cold night. The only night they ever, when I got there, somebody was still there working. And when I was just finishing up, he said, uh, how much longer are you going to be? I said, oh, about another 10 minutes. He said, well, he said, I'll wait for you. He said, are you going by the school? I said, yeah, I've got to go back to school. He said, I'll give you a ride home. God is always faithful, and we try to be, I try to be faithful with the little things that I had back there. And I want to tell you something. As I said this morning, that man that was in the restaurant business that said he wasn't tithing, I said, good enough for you. And he got a little bit upset with me, and I said, hey, you robbed God? He says, it's going to be a curse on your, on your finances. And he said, well, where's that? And I told him, so he started studying, and I went away from Bible college and came back years later, and he had a whole chain of restaurants and found out he had quit tithing and had gone to 15 and then 20% and 25%. He said, boy, I found out the more I give to God, the more he gives back to me. God blessed him for it. He began to realize that all the gifts and talent, you talk about it, a gift and a talent this man had. He lost everything one time because of a bad investment with some men he thought he could trust, and he didn't, couldn't. He came back and had to put four mortgages on his house. He was out trying to sell, and he was in his 60s, out traveling all over the road trying to sell, and he found out about a restaurant that was going under. It was the, they were just ready to close it down, a Hardy's restaurant. And he went to a friend that owned a Hardy's restaurant, and he said, do you suppose there's any chance I could pick that up? And he said, well, let me talk to him. He told him about his background, and so they worked out a deal to where he could take over that restaurant. He made that restaurant the top producing Hardee's in all the United States. It was so good that he went over and built another one in the same city. And it became a big producer also. He got a manager that managed both of them for him, so he had more free time. And Hardee's called him and said, we're giving you six more locations. If you want to build them, we want you to build them. He says, hey, I'm 70 years of age. I've had enough of this. They gave him the six locations. He turned around and sold the whole thing out for $2 million. But you know, he said, I really believe all because I was faithful to God in my stewardship and used those talents for the glory of God. And we realize it is God who gives us the power to get wealth. In fact, the word says if you try to get rich quick in a get-rich-quick scheme, that a curse comes with the money. Now, there's sometimes when God will open doors of blessing and opportunity, but when our purpose is, I want to get 
even if other people lose what I'm getting, I want to get. But it's God who gives us the power to get wealth. Now, in Exodus 31, I want you to see again, it's God that gives us abilities. First verse, the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezaliel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones to set them and in carving of timber to work in all manner of workmanship. And behold, I have given with him Aholiab, the son of Ahistamach, of the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted I have put wisdom that they may make all that I have commanded thee. It's incredible. God says, I have my man chosen to do this work. I have already given him the ability and all the craftsmanship. What talent, what ability, what gift has God given you? We've got some young people in this church who have a tremendous ability at art. And I see them just kind of playing with it. And I say, don't play with it. Take that ability. Use it. Develop it for God. And God will open doors for you in the days ahead. Some have musical ability. And I say, don't just waste that musical ability. Find good opportunities, good training. Develop that gift for the glory of God. Don't you ever for one moment think, see how much better I am than someone else. God will put you down and humble you in a minute. You won't be able to do anything. But say, this is a gift from God, and I want to develop for the Lord. If God's given you musical ability, use it every way you can. You know there's some people that are hiding musical ability. Whether it's playing drums or guitars or horns or whatever it might be, if they've got an ability and a gift, they should be in helping and ministering to the Lord. You say, well, yeah, but I don't want... You have no choice in this matter. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you're His steward, you're His bond slave. He's given you gifts and abilities. You're to use them for the glory of God and to bring honor to Jesus Christ. Now, if you have the ability to teach, you should seek out opportunities and ways to be able to teach. If your ministry is hospitality, you ought to develop it and invite other people into your home. If yours is administration, then you should seek out projects to take care of and do them for the glory of God. Why? God placed these gifts within you for a purpose. What if this gentleman here in Exodus 31 had said, you know, really, I'm more interested in going over here and starting my own hot dog stand. Well, you've got to give the guy a little credit. I mean, he wants to make some money over there, and he, he would have missed God's purpose completely. And can you imagine when he began to develop those things, how as he was working, the Spirit of God would work through his hands and these things would come out exactly as God told him he wanted it to be done? Another gift is to sit down in front of a computer and make that thing do what it's supposed to do. There's so much I don't know about it, but other men have that gift and other women have that gift and the talent and ability. They don't realize that God gave it to them. But you know, what would we do if we didn't have them? They say, well, I can't do any of those things. Can you mop? Can you sweep? Can you clean bathrooms? Can you scrub walls? Can you paint? Can you do carpentry work? Can you do communion? Can you work in the nursery? Some people have a real gift of working with children. It doesn't make a difference what that gift is. Use whatever gift you have, and God will multiply it back to you so that you'll have more opportunities in the days ahead. Faithful over little, I'll make you faithful over much. David said, He hath put, He hath put a song in my mouth, even praise unto our God, and many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. And again, I say, if God's given you ability at music, realize that it's a gift from God. And God wants to use it to challenge other people. 1 Peter 4.11. Let me go back to verse 10. As every man hath received the gift, the gift, even so, talking about motivational gifts here, by the way, 
Even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak or preach or teach, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, now that's a general term there, by the way, that means if any man is loving or serving or giving or whatever, whatever he might do, ministering to others, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And he says, whatever you can do, you do it as unto the Lord, that Jesus Christ may be honored and glorified. Now, when we do this, when we acknowledge this, all pride has to go out the window. What do you and I have that we've not received from the Lord? Secondly, what do you and I have but what we'll have to answer to God for that gift and that talent and that ability that He's given us? If we use them for the Lord, however small they may be, in that day He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. He said the same thing to the man with two talents as He said to the man with five talents. The man of five talents had five more. The man of two talents had two more. And he said to both of them, well done, good and faithful servant. He didn't say to the one with two, you dummy, why didn't you get five like the other guy? Severally, according to their ability, he gave it to them. But the real tragedy is there's many people that are the one talent Christians who don't use what they've got and they bury it. And then they wonder why God doesn't give them more. It's because we're not using what he tells us to use. Because that provokes displeasure as far as God is concerned. Matthew 25, 28 through 30. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Fourth thing is God's going to require an accounting of our talents. 1 Timothy 6, 17. You know, this message, if you'll take it to heart, can revolutionize our lives. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. That's the first thing. Secondly, nor trust in uncertain riches. Thirdly, but in the living God. Fourthly, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good and that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Powerful. When Christ returns. Powerful verses there. That they be rich, but not rich in material things, rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. When? When Jesus comes again. You know, one of the greatest problems is many Christians don't really believe Jesus could come at any time. Well, they say he is, but they don't really believe it's going to happen. I mean, it hasn't happened. I mean, after all, it can happen at any moment. What do you think that Christ will term as a successful life when he comes back? Well, I've got three doctor's degrees. I've got a $300,000 home and three new cars in the garage. I want to tell you something. Those aren't going to mean anything. Now, if God puts them in your garage, he can still say, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm not saying that having a $300,000 home means that you're disobedient to God. I mean that you must make sure you're using the gifts and talents that God gives you. And if he blesses you in that way, praise God. It was Larry Burkett that had a man who was a multi, multi, multi-millionaire many times over. Called him one day and said, Larry, I have this chance to get a brand new car or I can get this one that's a brass hat that's been driven. He said, the difference is several thousand dollars. What do you think I should do? He said, oh, give me a break. He said, that'd be like me saying, should I go to Steak and Shake or should I go to McDonald's? I mean... 
What's the difference? You know, a good night with all the money you've got. He said, but I understand that. But he said, that's not my problem. My problem is I want to be faithful as a steward of God and realize even though I've got millions, that doesn't give me the right to just go out and buy whatever I want to buy. Economically, financially speaking, would I be further ahead with my tax write-off and so forth to get a new car or would I be further ahead to get the used car? So then Larry gave him his, his answer to that situation. And I thought, wow. How many times do we sit down and say, do, can I go to such and such a place, or can I afford to do this? Or can, many times we just up and do it. Here's a man with millions. What's a successful life? I remember reading years ago a story, and I, I used this illustration some years ago, of J. Hudson Taylor. When he was 13 years of age, he felt a call of God in his life, and he said that the Lord, he, he felt the Lord wanted him to go to China. When he was 13, he was from England. And so he just devoured everything he could devour and learned all he could to, to be the best missionary he could possibly be. And his brother was very irritated with him. His sister thought it was wonderful, but his brother was irritated with him. He said, if you're going to make a fool of yourself and just throw your life away over there in China, then he said, I'm going to have to make a name for this family, so I'm going to go into Parliament. He went into politics and got into the Parliament of England. The interesting thing was J. Hudson Taylor gave his life in China and just poured out his whole life over in China. He went there in 1853 and established the mission and by 1938, that same mission had 337 mission stations, 2,453 outstations, 1,363 missionaries, 4,403 national workers in China, 190,580 conversions or converts in China by 1938. And when he died, he was brought back to England and had a royal funeral. And in the Encyclopedia Britannica some years ago, if you'd look and see concerning J. Hudson Taylor, it had nine columns concerning his life. And this brother that was going to make a name for the family, at the end of the column, it named him and said he was the brother of J. Hudson Taylor. He didn't own himself. He would not own earthly possessions. He would not boast of his personal talents, and he was a very capable man because he knew one day he'd be accountable to God for what, what he did with what he had. And I really believe that when J. Hudson Taylor died, he heard Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. See, that was the Christian philosophy. Now, if you'll turn to 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter with me, I want to read three verses to you here that applies to this Christian philosophy. Beginning with verse 6. Paul says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, would you underscore every man so that you will not leave yourself out? And that man does not mean every male person. It means every person, male or female. According as he or she purposes in their heart, so let them give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful, and literally another Greek translation says a hilarious giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you all, always having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work or all good works. Now this doesn't sound like there's room for insufficiency here, does it? Or lack. It doesn't say that you deserve it. It says grace. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. You can't earn it. It's free from the Lord. If you give, you'll receive. The same measure that you give, you shall receive it back again. Nate Saint one time said, and I close with this, he said, that man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. 
That man gave his life down in South America to one of the tribes on the riverbank. Gone through all the training, did all the preliminary things they're supposed to do, landed his airplane, got out, and the natives killed him and four other missionaries down there. His wife went back later with another woman, and they had a tremendous revival in that tribe, and amazing what God did down there. But you know something? He gave up what he couldn't keep, and that's what Jesus said. If you keep your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life for my sake and the gospel, you'll find it. He gave up what he could not keep to gain that which he could not lose. I'll bet you, if you went to heaven and said, if you came back and did it over again, what would change? You'd just say, I'd have, I'd have committed myself more completely to Jesus Christ than I was. Everything else is superfluous. Father, I'm asking you somehow to let the Holy Spirit, especially to our young people tonight, make them to realize tonight, in their youth and all the vitality and all the excitement and all the things they're anticipating in the days ahead, to remember they're not their own, that they don't possess and will never possess anything themselves. They're only God's stewards of everything He puts in their life, talents, gifts, whatever it might be, that their talents are not their own. And if we'll give them back to you, that just like you did with the loaves and the fishes, you'll multiply and bless them and bless many, many people. Lord, I wonder what would have happened if the little boy had kept his lunch of loaves and fishes instead of sharing them with the Lord and letting Him feed the 5,000 men and women and children, plus women, women and children. I pray that every person here tonight, down deep in their heart, will recognize and acknowledge the ownership of their life belongs to Jesus Christ. I commit these truths to you and I pray that you will do a revolutionary work in every one of our lives tonight that we will again take the astigmatism of time and have it removed by your spirit and we'll see life in the light of eternity. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? Father, I pray tonight that covetousness will be broken off from our lives. That selfishness will be destroyed in our lives right now in Jesus' name. And I pray that there will be a new outcry. Lord Jesus, fill me with your spirit. Direct me. Use me. Guide me. Let me know the mind of the spirit in my life this day. And Lord, I thank you that anything I've received is all of you. And I give you the honor and the glory and the praise for it. I'll not take any praise for myself. I'll give give the praise to you and anyone says the abilities and gifts that you've given me I'll be able to come back and say thank the Lord thank the Lord thank you Jesus for your mercy and goodness and grace for giving me these gifts I thank you Lord that you gave gifts to men to be able to build your tabernacle in, in the Old Testament and that you give men gifts today to do the work of the church and I pray that we will search our hearts and say Lord what gift did you give me how can I use it to cause the church of Jesus Christ to go forward and then, Lord, whatever our hands find to do, I pray that we'll do it and do it with all of our might. I ask this in Jesus' precious name.